the Spot Track Podcast, talking sports contracts, the salary cap, and business of sports. Today's edition of the Spot Track Podcast is presented by The Athletic. For sports fans, there's no better place for breaking news, real time commentary, and powerful stories than The Athletic. Open up your web browser, visit theathletic.com slash spot track, S P O T R A C, and grab 40% off that first year subscription. Then download the app, and you'll have everything you love, everything you want at your fingertips, really, multiple times a day. Tons of content, great writers, great reporters, great podcasters. Theathletic.com slash track. My name is Mike Gennetti. I'm going to bounce around just a bit today. Not too crazy. Keep it short and sweet as the sports world is sort of unfolding in front of us. And rather than sit here and try to have a long-form conversation about it, I'm just going to continue to speak to the news because that's the sort of world that we're in right now. There's things coming from every direction. I'm going to open with a little football. There's some baseball nuggets, a little bit of Braves, a little bit of Shohei Otani. And then at the back end, a Tyler Hero extension with the Miami Heat and how that may circumvent some thoughts we've had about that roster. Or maybe it doesn't do a darn thing. So that's how we're going to finish the show there. Off the top here. Week four, Sunday, and somewhat Thursday. This is the takeaway I have because I, I watch these things with a different set of goggles than a lot of people because of what we do for a living. It's a really good week for guys in expiring contracts, whether it's guys who took one-year deals, especially running backs, whether it's the Saquons, you know, the, the, the guys heading into fifth-year options, Lamar Jackson, yeah, they lost. He had a hell of a game. And there's a couple of drops there that maybe changed that game or a couple of bad refereeing calls that changed that game. But notably, that's what I kept seeing. You know, Jamal Williams taking over for DeAndre Swift, huge game expiring contract. TJ Hawkinson dying for an extension. He's got a fifth year option next year. You have to think now with this offense that is just churning out points in Detroit, despite backups everywhere, despite a roster that's not ready. And by the way, Jamison Williams still sitting on the bench, you know, rehabbing, only going to get better. It's got to be pretty good to be Jared Goff right now. Now he's not the best quarterback in football. He's never going to be the best quarterback in football. I think a lot of people still hate Jared Goff, not personally, as a quarterback. But that dude can light it up. He did it in the Rams. We thought a lot of it was McVay. I think Jared Goff has a real idea out there. And you give him any kind of any separation, which that's certainly what the Detroit Lions have done from a draft and free agency perspective. Any kind of separation and any kind of balance between a run game and a pass game, which he had in top with Todd Gurley in, in Los Angeles. And this guy can really do something. Above average stuff. And that's what we're seeing on a Detroit team that we thought would take this, a, a bit of a step forward. But I was not ready for this kind of offensive explosion now four weeks in a row. So kudos to them. They're, they seem like maybe one offseason away. If they pound that defense hard in terms of the draft and, and the free agency, something we've seen the Eagles do, and then quickly flip, flip the switch, they're right there. That's probably my biggest cop. Now, <laughs> Jared Goff isn't Jalen Hurts, but he might be Carson Wentz. You know, they were drafted together. There's a lot of similarities and consistencies there, maybe inconsistencies too. But Carson Wentz was able to win with that kind of mindset from a GM. Why can't Detroit just follow that and sneak one ridiculous Super Bowl win out of it? To me, it's possible. That offense is up there with, with the big boys, whether they're, it's the number ones out there or the number twos out there. That's been proven now after week four. So that's a huge takeaway for me, that Jared Goff can really run this system now in year two, and they may really have something blossoming. So again, I'm looking forward to a big offseason for them, but we're talking about guys that are on expiring contracts that are just doing their job. 
you know? And, you know, if I just quickly filter some of these fantasy rankings, I'm using fantasy pros, by the way, for this. So if you're gawking at my numbers, this is just the week four stuff. And by the way, we're still in motion here. There's a prime 10 game ahead of me. There's a Monday night game ahead of me with plenty of star power. But as it stands right now, you know, Goff was the, was the top rated fantasy quarterback, as mentioned. Geno Smith, number two, that's a guy playing for something next year, whether it's maybe he starts the year as a Seattle quarterback and they've drafted somebody that may take over at some point, possibly. Running backs, I mentioned a couple. How about Miles Sanders? Huge day. Expiring contract. How about Rashad Penny, speaking of Seattle? Huge day on a one-year expiring contract. How about Josh Jacobs? Had his fifth-year option declined. The biggest running back day so far, expiring contract. Probably looking for work next year. Saquon Barkley's in the top 10 here. Expiring contract. McCaffrey may be out of his contract next year. Derrick Henry may be out of his contract next year. Both top 10 and running this week, this week. Massive, massive production. Now, you're not going to have the same conversation with wide receivers. Why? Because 95% of the wide receivers in the league signed a gigantic extension this offseason, it feels like. But there's still some hanging out there, right? Some, the, the Alan Lazard's expiring contract, he had a day, as you'll see. But tight ends, running backs, wide receivers, defensive players, Jordan Poyer, huge game for the Buffalo Bills, a little bit of an injury, expiring contract. There's a lot of that happening. Devin Singletary, the running back for the Bills, another very solid productive day in a spread offense, expiring contract. There's a lot to this. I'm not saying they're playing well because they have an expiring contract. I'm just saying we're setting ourselves up for either in-season extensions or guys that could get, free, get to free agency that can really produce, at least on a, in a week-to-week basis. So that's what I'm taking away from the immediacy of this week, the combination of a couple of weeks. Many of these names I just mentioned to you have had really good starts through the first almost quarter of the season. So that's what, I'm, that's what I have in the back of my mind right now. The quarterback play has been consistent. You know, the Cousins stuff was weird. Jalen Hurts, Trevor Lawrence kind of really struggled in that weather today, as did Allen and Jackson from a throwing perspective. But we'll see. What happens to the 49ers tomorrow? To me, that's a big storyline. That's a team that could go all the way down or literally compete in the NFC, depending on how the next couple of weeks go with injuries and, and Garoppolo specifically. And then Dallas with Cooper Rush slash Dak Prescott, whenever that comes back, have they done enough? This is a team that is third in total, or excuse me, 28th in total cash, third lowest in the league. Jerry Jones is paying the third least amount of cash that any owner is this year to his team. Didn't want to pay Mari Cooper, wanted to go young at the wide receiver position, knew he had to pay Zeke because that contract had him locked in, knew he had to bring back some of those defensive guys like Lawrence and on restructures because Randy Gregory decided to walk away. There's a lot of youth. It's a fairly inexpensive team. But if they're going to win that division, and they're certainly going to be in the conversation with Philadelphia, despite being, them being 4-0, he might have to push. He might have to buy in the next couple of weeks towards that October deadline, which is fun. Because if the Cowboys are buying, you know, so are the news stations, right? So just something to keep an eye on as we kind of approach this. There's teams going down. There's, there's a question about that. The, you know, the Steelers, the Texans. The Falcons got a great win today, but they're not sustainable with that defense. And even the Jets got a great win today, but nobody's out of it. And there's a lot of guys on one-year deals right now, something we're going to see more and more of because the quarterbacks are making 50, that are going to be able to reset their market next, next year, whether it's an extension to stay or a quick two- or three-year multi-year extension 
or free agent contract on the open market. So that's exciting. It's exciting to see the guys who have been devalued a little bit, maybe the guys who have been thrown, thrown around a little bit, like a Hawkinson or a Barkley because of injury or just bad play, starting to find their sea legs. And what's that going to mean for them financially in the next couple of months? Okay, let's talk a little bit of baseball, a little bit of uh, basketball, and we'll call it a day. The Atlanta Braves are a few days away from, I believe, toppling the New York Mets for that NL East division. It's been trending this way for a couple of months. The Mets have been banged up, floundering, different animals at the plate, a couple of really notable injuries in terms of uh, the top of the lineup, and just kind of uh, falling apart here. And the Braves, as they've done over the past really three seasons now, are finding their sea legs. Nakuna's a healthy man. The pitching staff is holding their own. There's been a bit of a, a, a finding the right puzzle pieces on that rotation, but they have. And it's not like last year. So I'll, I'll say this. It is in one regard, and it isn't in another regard. I'll give you the positive first. The way that it is like last year, by the way, this is the reigning World Series champions. That's why I'm discussing them right now. <laughs> Otherwise, the fact that they're about to take down my Mets would be making me run away from this organization like the plague. But they are the champs. This would be a similar conversation if it was the Rams in Week 17, and they were knocking on the door of that NFC West and a number one seed which is not going to be the case with the, Dod- with the Dodgers being who they are, but the Braves are knocking on the door. They're like last year because in 2021, with Freddie Freeman in tow, they were third in the Major League Baseball with 239 home runs. Second in the National League behind the Giants and the Blue Jays. Handedly took the number one spot last year. This year, same story, a little bit different roster. Right now, they're second in Major League Baseball, number one in the National League with, two, with 239 exactly. So in the next four days, if they hit even one, they'll surpass, surpass last year's mark. They live and die by it. And they're living and dying by it right now through this Mets series. They've been doing this for, for the past few months. Freddie Freeman out the door does change them a little bit. You know, Matt, we, we've kind of described Matt Olson coming in, being a very similar mindset. Good first baseman. But he's batting 240. And the on-base percentage is in the low threes. And Freddie Freeman's just not that player. He's never been, and he's not this year. He's at 320-something out in the, with the, at the National League and the Dodgers in what you could call a quiet, great year behind just a phenomenal lineup. So there's a bit of a dip. They're, they just don't play a, a, a notion of small ball. Now, they've got some speed with Her- Michael Harris, the center fielder, and they can do it if they have to. They can manufacture runs. In fact, in terms of those runs scored, they're third. So yeah, there's a hell of a lot of home runs being hit here, but they're third in Major League Baseball, second in the National League in runs scored. So a big part of that is home runs, but they are finding their way home, and they've done that consistently over the past two months here. So they're worth talking about. I'm not sure that they have the caliber of a roster, especially from a pitching perspective, to get to that Dodgers, who I think will be the clear favorites, and Houston in in the American League at least from a betting standpoint, and you know how it goes with, with baseball series. It's, uh, it's a marathon. But if we just talk about the home runs real quick, I mentioned the, the top couple there. Yankees are one, Braves are two, Brewers are three, Astros are four, Dodgers are five, Phillies are six, Blue Jays are seven, Cardinals are eight, Rangers are nine, Mariners are 10. I'm pretty confident that only one of those teams is not going to the postseason. One. Now, the Brewers may fall off. 
So there may be two. So let's just say for safety reasons, eight out of 10 of the top home run teams in baseball are going to the postseason. That's saying something. <laughs> okay. That is saying something. How about Cleveland, a team we've talked about about a week ago on this podcast when they won the division, the AL Central. Cleveland is 29th in home runs, and they're not going to be 28th in the next couple of days. They're eight behind the 28th Washington Nationals. They're going to be locked in to 29th in Major League Baseball and home runs hit, and they won their division. They're going to the ALDS. That is something. All right? That is, say, that is saying something when you can talk about manufacturing runs. And if we flip to the runs here, middle of the pack, they're 16th. So this is about being balanced. This is about being uh, as much defensive-minded as they are offensive-minded. And you, you just got to love that kind of balance. Now, look, that, that, what that says to me is a team that can go and bop home runs out of the park like, like Houston can and like the Yankees can, can probably floor them in, in a five-game series. So I wouldn't put, you know, hard money on Cleveland, but you love to see that that kind of team can still exist and win a division and maybe make some noise in the postseason. But for the most part, I'll go back to it. At least eight out of 10 of the top home run teams in baseball are going to the postseason. It's not an accident. They're not just changing the game for viewing purposes because young kids love watching people mash the ball out of the park. They're doing it because they're literally succeeding. They are beating teams this way. It's like the passing game in football. It's like the three-pointer in basketball. There's math to it, right? It's a hell of a lot more efficient to swing up and try to hit the ball out of the park because the risk is just way less. It's, it's much more efficient to locate even cheap guys that have the ability to do this. And that's kind of what the Braves have done. That's been their MO. We're never going to pay you like a super, super, super duper star. We're going to pay you like a superstar or an above average rookie on a rookie extension, something they've done quite a lot of this year alone. And you're just going to be one of the guys at the end of the day, because we're all going to do this because collectively, if we as a team hit enough home runs together and doubles to some degree as well, I'm not going to leave that out in the conversation. This is a total base thing. But if that's the metric that we have to get to, if we're moneyballing this situation for 2022, it's obvious what it is. <laughs> it's obvious that this is the only conversation they have to sit down with players and have is you can mash the ball. We're going to win a lot of ball games because six out of our nine guys, for the most part, can mash 20 to 25 to 30. And if we do this every year, we're going to be relevant. Now, we may not win the division every year, but we're going to be relevant, even in one of the better divisions in baseball. The Yankees the same way. Number one in home runs. They're going to win a division. They really had no, no business winning after this last two and a half months when their pitching staff fell apart and they went through four closers and yada, yada, yada. They just mashed. Timely home runs, obviously a historic record with Judge, but it's not an accident. This is a real deal stat. The Braves have changed this rapidly since 2019. They were middle of the road home run team in 2019. They have made an effort to sign or promote or acquire, mostly acquire, bats that fit this model. And Freddie Freeman, to be quite frank, didn't fit this model. Now, they miss his average at times. There's no question they'd love to manufacture runs differently at certain times. And I think they're going to need that in the postseason. That's just sort of how it works. Everything tightens up a little bit. The weather gets way colder. The ball flies out less. It's just physics. 
So I think they'll miss that bat a little bit. But Matt Olson's got 12 more home runs than Freddie Freeman this year. So if you want to talk about that on a one-to-one conversation, the Braves won out in that one. <laughs> okay. Uh, but I think the Dodgers are going to have the last laugh there. What did they do differently? What they did differently this year is they didn't make a huge, gigantic trade push. They tried. They tried to sort of out-chess themselves. They, get, they grabbed five or six names here between August 1st and August 17th. And really, truly, only one has made any kind of difference. And he's going to be a huge difference come October here. And that's Roger Iglesias, the closer from the Reds who is going to set up Kenley Jansen. I think at times he's going to be the ninth inning guy. Hell, at times he may be the sixth or seventh inning guy that comes in and really tries to, to make everything you know, work from the starting rotation on. That glue guy, that middle guy. But it's just a huge get. Um, they flipped Jesse Chavez, an arm they grabbed in the middle of the season. They flipped him and, a, and, and another starting pitcher in Tucker Davidson to the Angels for Iglesias, who they had acquired from Cincinnati a couple of years back. So he was under term. This is a guy that can now be part of this window of contention for the next few years, even though Kenley Jansen's an expiring contract. He's got four year, you know, three years left after this season. So this was an immediacy move and a short-term window of contention move. Brilliant. No question, that's a home run get. Maybe one of the best gets at the deadline in the entire league. Robbie Grossman's a meh, right? I mean, he's a name. He's one of those guys that can throw a couple doubles out there and a couple of bombs out there. He fits their model pretty heavily. He just hasn't shown it. You know, he's batting around 200. He's had limited pinch hit opportunities. He's filled in here and there for some injuries. He's going to be a nice bat off the bench. And I'm probably going to eat these words when, you know, they're destroying some team based on Robbie Grossman's one pinch hit at bat. But that's just another uh, move. It's not, doesn't have the juice of like an Adam Duvall or an Eddie Rosario last year that really vaulted them into World Series championship. Outside of that, Jake Odorizzi, they acquired from Houston because Houston just had a surplus of arms. He's been terrible. Near six ERA, nine in nine starts. The whip is like 1.6. I mean, it's like, Designate for assignment type crap. And I, and I think he doesn't even make these rosters heading into the, into, the, into the regular season here. So we'll see where that ends up. Um, Adrianza, the, the middle infielder, was kind of brought in just for Ozzy Albies' injury. When Albies returned for a minute and a half, you thought that was going to go by the wayside. Now Albies is done, though. So he's going to be valuable from a depth perspective. I just don't know if he's the right kind of player. He's really, he was plugging a specific hole versus trying to be icing on the cake to take them to the next level. And then, you know, the Robbie Cano takeover was, was a, a swing and a miss. That's it. That's all we have to talk about since August 1st. But you have to remember this. I'm not throwing salt on a wound here. A, they're about to win the division, in my opinion. I don't have that, you know, factual quite yet. But B, they did everything they did last year down the stretch and through the postseason without Acuna Jr., and it's such an underrated situation. I mean, they, arguably their best, most important position player outside of Freeman at the time wasn't even available, wasn't even close to available. And, and Slow played himself back into this season, got himself going. You just have to imagine that he is chomping at the bit to make this postseason run his version of it. You know, he may be an absolute monster over the next month or six weeks if the Braves can keep, keep this thing going. So any kind of subtractions I've talked about or any kind of lack of potency that they added at the trade deadline, 
to me is moot because if the pitchers can pitch and if Iglesias and Jansen are a, a strong enough and consistent enough one-two punch in the back of the bullpen, anything Acuna gives you is the icing on the cake from last year. And if you're a betting person and you think the Dodgers are gettable and you think the Cardinals are going to go by the wayside and the Mets are going to go by the wayside, and if you don't believe in the Padres, right, this has to be the team you're looking at. Now, repeating is almost impossible, you know, we, in any sport at this point in time because of free agency and trades and player empowerment and yada, yada. It, you know how this works. But everything I've just said to you, plus the Acuna comment, would at least give me reason to say, if I wasn't a Mets fan, I'm throwing $100 in this team because they're, they're going to be the underdogs. The Dodgers are the Dodgers, 110 plus wins. You know where this is going. Dodgers-Astros is going to be the matchup that the networks that, well, I shouldn't say that. The Yankees obviously are, are what the networks are hoping for. But Dodgers-Astros, Yankees, that's what people want to see. If the Braves win this division and show any kind of power in, in early in that postseason, there's going to be quick momentum on this team. And you're going to be talking about the repeat. You're going to be talking about the Freddie Freeman situation all over again. There's going to be a lot to that. Because if we get a Braves-Dodgers NLCS, right? That's where we're headed here. That's juicy. That's juicy stuff. So get in early. I'm not going to be following you because I'm going to, I'm going to hold on hope that the Mets can can uh, survive the next couple of weeks somehow, looking the way they look. But there's a lot of reasons to slap a hundo on this team right now. There's no question about it. Sticking with Major League Baseball, Shohei Otani. We talked about him quite a bit. This one surprised, I think, everybody. You know? A one-year, $30 million extension for 2023 to avoid the final year of his arbitration. Everything about it's historic. The total amount, $30 million for an arbitration-eligible player, is $3 million more than Mookie Betts was offered with the Red Sox. And the percent increase from arbitration to arbitration year, $5.5 million up to $30 million, historic, near 10%. It's historic, right? Now, he did that to himself with a two-year, $8.5 million arbitration extension two years ago. So we knew that was going to fall flat on its face. It obviously did. The fact that he's made $8.5 million in the past two seasons is criminal. Literally throw somebody in jail. And by the way, that GM is not even there anymore. So we, uh, we knew this was coming to some degree. Here's the qu- I have a couple of questions to pose out there because there's really not much to read into this. This is one of the most dynamic players in the history of the game getting a historic salary. That's it. There's, there's no minutiae. I have questions, though. Why would he do this? Why wouldn't he sit there and say, I have never had more power in my entire life. I'm not going to be the MVP this year, but people are going to be talking about me as if I should have been the MVP for the second straight year. In some crazy, weird way, there's a Lamar Jackson conversation directly parallel with Shohei Otani. Freakish athletes doing things that we really haven't seen on their respective fields before. And for some reason, their teams just refuse to give them the kind of compensation that they deserve. Now, in Shohei's case, it could be very well that he has decided, I am not going to sign a contract here. I would prefer to get to free agency. I would prefer to go the traditional route, finish my tenure here, finish my team control, make a crazy salary in my final year, hit the market with a qualifying offer slapped on him, unfortunately, and 
let one of the big boys or a couple of the big boys try to negotiate for me back and forth and, and start a bidding war. I would say that's probably right now the betting favorite of where this all ends up. However, and I was quick to pull, this, pull the trigger on this on Twitter because I want to make sure that the, oh, he's definitely now, he's, he's an angel for 2023 narrative, just started being thrown out as if this is set in stone. How can we say that? The, the timing of this move, to me, says exactly the opposite. The timing of this move says Shohei Otani has agreed to a historic salary with the Angels so that his immediate value has now been set. And that value is, if you're going to acquire me, team, I'm already under contract for this year. You can keep me there, or you can bring me in. And if I think that this is a situation I want to extend in, this now becomes the baseline for my discussion. Because he's not going to take less than $30 million a year now. <laughs> right? It's like, it's like the franchise tag conversation. Well, Jesse Bates was offered a franchise tag. You can't offer him less than the franchise tag on an annual basis. Can't do that can't offer Lamar Jackson less than the $45 million exclusive franchise tag you're going to slap on him next year. He's not going to take that because he'll just take another franchise tag instead. So to some degree, this is Otani saying, all right, at least now I have my, my foot in the sand at $30 million a year. For one year, yes, but this becomes now my new benchmark. Okay. The fact that this got done in October, October 1st, September 30th, let's say, for all negotiation purposes, the fact that it basically got done in September is just, to me, the angels preparing themselves for an onslaught of phone calls this winter. Let's get this out of the way so that we're not sitting there negotiating with somebody else's numbers. You know, well, we're, we're prepared to offer him 200 million or 300 million or 400 million. So we're going to build that into our, no, we don't have to do that anymore. You're giving us maximum trade because we've already agreed to this guy at a, at, a, at a historic salary for one year. So there's leverage now for the angels to say, we took care of some of the dirty work for the next year. So now all you have to do is give us four gigantic prospects and you know maybe a couple of veteran guys or two prospects and maybe take this Rendon contract off our hands too, if it gets to that point. Um, but there's no discounts because you have to pay the guy. If you have to pay the guy, it's because you want to pay the guy. We've already put in the work for next year. We've covered this whole trade process in terms of the financials. So I think that is advantage angels. You've maximized your ability to shop this guy at the highest level possible if his production on the mound and at the plate didn't already do that. But I do agree from a negotiation standpoint that the angels did the right thing here. Again, though, why would Otani do this? Why wouldn't Otani, at least for the whole winter, Lamar Jackson himself through the offseason and basically say, I'm not coming anywhere near this, this, this organization until there's an offer out there for 40 mil per year times five and then three player options or a club option and two, something, some kind of creative, gigantic average salary contract that at least makes me think, well, we want to keep you. We're, we're not winning ball games, but we have, to, we have to at least try to keep you. Why wouldn't they at least get that on the record? Because at least with Juan Soto, he allowed the negotiations to happen in Washington. And we had two different iterations of public numbers coming out. 
which sounds stupid and made the Washington Nationals look bad. But in hindsight, all it did is set an immediate value on Juan Soto, a starting point, which is only going to get bigger and bigger as his production gets bigger and bigger. And the same conversation can be had with, with Aaron Judge. The second that, that Brian Cashman got in front of that microphone and discussed the specific offer that they made to Aaron Judge before the season, before that deadline, that now became the, well, that's the one he wouldn't take. So if he had a terrible year this year, that now becomes the offer he should have taken because now he's, not, now he's proven that maybe he's not worth that kind of money. And when he goes to the open market, somebody's going to say, look, you fell flat on your face here. Or the Yankees can go back and say, hey, we're still willing to give you this offer, but let's make it seven years instead of eight now. Obviously, that didn't happen with Aaron Judge. And to some degree, you know, Juan Soto sort of flatlined, as we mentioned last week with Dan. That's not going to be the case forever. You know, this is, and in fact, this postseason might change everything. You know how narratives change in, in the postseason. At some point in time, we're going to look at the, na- the Nationals' offer. I think it was $350 million, 10 for 350 And we're going to say, it was a great starting point a year and a half ago. And now that it's $45 million a year, that would have been a bargain. And he was right not to take it. Shohei Otani needs to at least get that number out there because we have, I do this for a living and I love it and I, and I eat this stuff up. I struggled so much with this guy in terms of evaluation. There's an article on spotrack.com still, and I hold true to a lot of it. And it's, it's a creative piece more than it is a projective piece. Because I think myself and a lot of people that try to do this for a living or even just have fun with it are, finding, are trying to find the, the right path to pay this guy. Do you pay him as a above-average hitter? Do you pay him as an above-average pitcher? Do you pay him in combination of those two? Do you average the combination of those two and get to a fair number and hope that he can keep up most of these both you know, multi, multi-platform productions for another eight years? Or do you bet on the fact that he's going to be doing this for four to five years more and offer him a gigantic AAV, understanding what that does to your tax payroll, but also preserving the fact that when he's 37 or 36 or 35, there's not a chance in H-E double hockey sticks that he's doing both these things like he's doing them. It's fascinating because I don't think anybody has the answer. So maybe it's just me being stubborn and selfish. But I really wanted him to give us a baseline. And I wanted him and the Angels, and and this isn't to say that they haven't done this, but I wanted CAA and Shohei Otani and maybe the GM of the Angels to come forward and say, we gave it a shot. We're going to go through the arbitration process. Shohei's really interested in free agency, or we're going to readdress this conversation after the upcoming season before free agency. We kind of know where he stands. It's a number that we're not comfortable with right now, but hopefully over the next couple of months, the organization turns itself around a little bit and we have better reason to pay this kind of cash. Lord, you know, pat me on the, on the shoulder when somebody is that transparent with the process, because we all know where this is. They're a garbage team right now with great top heavy players, but you can't miss the playoffs by this much and this consistently over the decade and then justify 350 for Mike Trout or 430 for Mike Trout and what? At least 400 for Otani? Am I being crazy there? No. Are we talking about nearly a billion dollars for two players on a team that can't go to the postseason? It would be ludicrous. I don't even want to see it. 
So I want this guy to be somewhere else, which is why I started this conversation the way I did. My, my, my biggest hope is that the reason the angels did this specifically, and maybe Yotani too, maybe this has been conveyed between both parties. The reason that September 30th, a one-year $30 million extension was agreed to is that the next plan is we're about to take a flood of phone calls and we're going to include you in every single one of them. And we're going to let you know that these three teams have packages within our scope and these three teams are close within our scope and we can probably talk them up if you're interested in being there. But I have a feeling and it's, it's honestly my hope because I don't think the angels deserve to pay this guy right now. It is my hope that there's now a process in place to find the perfect situation for the angels to draw a package and for Otani to be on a, on a new franchise by, should we say February 1st, just to be safe? That's my hope. So while the, the 30 million is great, it's perfect. Every team would have done this in my opinion. The fact that it was September 30th says to me either two things, one of two things. One, he quickly agreed to this because he wanted to get the conversation off the table. I don't want to be the focal point anymore throughout the winter. I'm going to play on 30 million and I'm hitting the open market next July, next December. And that's it. Sayonara, uh, you know, LA angels. Thanks for everything. That's one. And maybe that's the likely path. And then two or then two is what I'm hoping for, which is I'm signing this now. I'm agreeing to this now. And now you have to go do your part, Angels, which is find the proper suitor, work with me on the trade, and let's get the hell out of here. We shall see. Plenty of intrigue left here this offseason. One of the questions left unanswered on the last show with Scott, the extension conversation with Tyler Hero and the Miami Heat, that question has been answered. Tyler Hero agrees to a four-year, $120 million base extension with Miami, that includes an additional $10 million of incentives. Uh, this is it. I think this is the right move. Miami's been a weird team this offseason. We had them in some Durant conversations. That quickly got squashed because really the only players that could have moved out of there were Hero, Duncan Robinson, and then Bam. And Bam, because of his, his uh, designated extension status, could not join the Nets. So once that kind of got squashed and Miami was out of that conversation, I feel like we haven't heard them in any other conversation since, whether it's internal stuff, whether it's, you know, how they make themselves better, whether it's, did they get better? Whether it's, are they still a relevant Eastern Conference contender? They're just sort of there. And it feels a little like Denver to me. Now, Denver doesn't change much. It's, it's certainly their philosophy that consistency will win the day. And I think at some point that's going to work for them. It's not going to work in a dynasty format. It's going to work that this group, I think, if healthy, does have the talent and the coach and blah, blah, blah to get to a finish line. Maybe that's this year. I think Miami's in that conversation. Now, Duncan Robinson has to do exponentially more. And Tyler Hero has to have a hell of a lot better year than he had last year. There were a lot of ups, a lot down. He's not a starting player anymore. And oh, by the way, the Kyle Lowry stuff has to work out at least a little bit better because he looks like he should have retired versus been acquired by Miami in the sign and trade. So... There are some serious question marks within this organization, but at least for one year, Tyler Hero is going to remain. He's going to remain in, in Miami. And that's probably the case for a lot of this roster. And if I, bet, I bet if I had Keith Smith on, and I will soon, he's going to sort of the briefing from uh, 
uh, he's a Florida guy, so obviously thoughts to him and all the Florida people who are dealing with this hurricane stuff. Uh, this doesn't mean he's not following the basketball stuff, I promise you. It just means I'm, I'm leaving him alone right now. But once I'm able to rack his brain with this upcoming stuff and this upcoming season, this, one of the questions is going to be, is Miami just gone stale on us? Or is this just a team that we're forgetting about? And at the end of the day, they're just going to be knocking on the door. Not unlike the Braves conversation I just had. Yeah, Couldn't they just kind of stabilize themselves over the next few months? And then maybe there's one deadline move. Maybe they can sell Kyle Lowry if they have to. Bring in some sort of dynamic playmaker who can get his own shot. Of course they can. Of course they can. Now with Lowry, like I said, I think, I'm not sure this is a four-year Kyle Lowry marriage. Excuse me, Tyler Hero marriage even though it's a four-year extension. But I do believe that he is the right man, at least from a six-man perspective, for this current group. And again, not writing him off, just concerned that I haven't heard enough. But that could be a very positive thing. He's $5.7 million this year on the end of his rookie contract. That, that will jump up into the near, near or into the 30s next year based on some estimates and some cap stuff. But again, it's $120 million guaranteed, $10 million of incentives that we will get as soon as possible when Scott and Keith do their dirty work. So one of those questions has been answered. There's a ton more, especially with the rookie extensions. We'll be, uh, we'll be back on that as soon as possible. Okay, my thanks to The Athletic. Check out theathletic.com slash track in your web browser. Get 40% off that first year subscription. Download the app. Tell them who you love, and you'll get exclusive content at your fingertips like no other. Really, it's the best spot for up-to-date news in every format, whether it's social media, whether it's full content, full articles, podcasts, uh, they're just churning this stuff out with maybe the best group of writers in the game. So 40% off that first year is a total bargain. Visit theathletic.com slash spot track. For Scott Allen, my name is Mike Chinetti. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Spot Track Podcast.